Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Liam Rossinia to my Wayne Rooney. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. Justin, how are you on this fine afternoon? Um, I'm happy given that, you know, Derby continue to lose and, you know, make me unhappy. But happy other than that, I can say that, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, We're joined today by James Jenkinson from Birmingham Fan TV. James, how's it going? I'm good, thanks, guys. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, We've also got Omar Renane from That Millwall Podcast. Omar, how are you? Not too bad, gents. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. We're always very passionate here on the Second Tier Podcast about the Championship being the best league in the world. So we'll start off this week's pod by talking about a game which we won't be using as an advert for it being the best league in the world. Coventry City nil, Birmingham City nil. Tom on Twitter says, paint watches Birmingham City dry. James, do you agree with this statement? (laughs) I don't think we're going to have many games this season that... uh... People are going to look back on and go, wow, you know, that was uh, that was a spectacle for the championship. I think out of our 12 games this season, I could probably pick out sort of two to three where I've been entertained. Yeah, it wasn't a great game, was it? What, what did you make of the game as a whole? Yeah, like you say, I think it was really, um, I was going to say balanced, but yeah, I think there was two teams that were incredibly cautious. Uh, neither team particularly wanted to lose more than teams wanted to win I think both teams had come off the back of poor runs so I think I saw two teams that were more structured towards looking at their defensive side of their game more than going forward and and really trying to win the game and be uh, creative and adventurous yeah you spot on Uh, not many chances but the ones that there were fell to Lukas Jukovic who just couldn't put them away. Uh, Scott Hogan has also been struggling in front of goal this season. And that's been the real issue for Blues so far, hasn't it? Not putting chances away. Massively, yeah. I still think um, the club is suffering from not replacing Shea Adams back in the back end of 2019. You know, he's been gone 18 months now and we've not replaced him. And that's been our biggest downfall. You know, we started last season with uh, Alvaro Jimenez and, and Lukas Jukovic, who between them, you'd be lucky to hit 15 goals. Um, and, and Jukovic did in the end last season, which was you know a credit to him. But, you know, when you don't replace a 22-goal-a-season striker, you're asking for trouble when he was our main outlet of goals. And, and that's been the case. And I think Scott Hogan, if he can, he's a player that thrives off confidence. Uh, if you can hit him, and get him in a rich vein of form, which we did last season. You saw the rewards. It was seven goals in six games. And he's that kind of striker. You know, if you can if you can breed confidence into him, uh, he'll score goals. You know, he's a natural finisher. So, and, and Jukovic was uncharacteristically off, off form, I thought, on Friday night. His hold-up play wasn't as good as usual. He had three of his bread and butter headers, so to speak. Uh, and none of them other than the one that kind of came off the underside of the bar, none of them really troubled the goalkeeper, which was really disappointing. Just a quick word on Coventry, Justin. I don't think they'll have many things to shout about from this game either. Uh, But they did keep a clean sheet, just their second one of the season, which is a positive because they have been a bit leaky defensively, haven't they? They have, and that's that's, they've they've honestly just shot themselves in the foot in most of the games they've played because, you know, as James pointed out, I think everybody expected them to get out of the blocks a bit quicker, be on the front foot a little bit more, but they're a bit more... Pragmatic, and that's that's the part of the game that they've been missing in the first quarter of the season. And if they they get that balance right between you know being a bit more pragmatic and being well a bit looser up front, then they'll they will start to get results. And um, as I say, 
it's that game management side of things that's let them down, but they managed this game as as good as they could have and got a, got a clean sheet and a draw. Yeah, you're just about right. Um, as a Birmingham fan, James, do you mind Coventry playing at St Andrews? Um, it's not ideal, is it? Um, <laughs> I think the main concern is we keep we keep playing them, and the worry is if you beat if they beat us, for example, um, the ribbon we'll get on Twitter for six months is. Uh, would be painful. The tenants being the landlord, so to speak. <laughs> I'll hold my breath. But I think the main worry is that it's always been my worry is the pitch. Um, the pitch started to really tire before lockdown uh, last year. It was really in a bad way, uh, and that's my worry again this winter. Uh, the pitch. I know that we don't play the most sort of entertaining on the floor tick attack of football, so to speak. But uh, a pitch is going to affect everyone, isn't it? So uh, yeah, if we see that happen again, I think we could really really struggle again and so could Coventry I think it doesn't help either team yeah the groundsman's definitely earning his salary at the moment at St Andrews isn't he yeah uh, Omar let's move on to your game Millwall 1 Cardiff 1 Neil Harris's first trip to the den since being sat last year Harris is still a legend at Millwall isn't he Omar yeah I mean uh, it was a shame I was really looking forward to obviously missing the games like mad but I feel like a game like yesterday I was missing it more in particular obviously to have, he is a legend still in his own right. He'd done well as a manager for us, but even more so as a player. So it was a shame to miss that game yesterday. Um, it, as for the game itself, it wasn't the greatest spectacle, but I suppose at least we had a couple of goals compared to James's uh, Birmingham game on Friday night. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't the one for the purists, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I thought it was quite an entertaining one, actually, because there were quite a few chances that could have gone either way. And um, it seemed that a draw was a fair result in the end. Would you agree? I'd say so. I mean, there was open chances. I think the problem is uh, Gary and Neil Harris seem to have at least somewhat some similar management styles, I'd say. So the game kind of at times, it cancelled each other out, I felt like. And obviously, both sides are quite intense and fit and physical in their nature. So you've obviously got big centre-halves playing against each other. You've got big forwards going to each other. So I feel like... Yeah, the, the the sour note for us is we missed a couple of chances, but at the same time, thanks to our keeper, we probably stayed in it and managed to get a draw yesterday. So I'll take the point, but I think it's a bit of a, it's an interesting time for us at the moment, I feel like. Yeah, Bielkowski is well known for keeping a Millwall in the games at times, isn't he? Uh, Matt Smith scored the most Matt Smith goal ever. <laughs> but uh, Troy Parrott finally made his league debut for Millwall. He's he the highly rated 18-year-old striker from Spurs, had a few injury problems this season, but I'm very ex- excited to see what he can do in a Millwall shirt, Omar. Is this excitement shared in the Millwall fan base? It's, it's, it's a little bit, I mean, if you speak to Tottenham fans about Troy Parrott, they're instantly lock their eyes up and shout Liverpool about him, but it's one of those until you see him in action, you don't really know. I think in pre-season we signed him, he scored three or four goals in three or four games, we're thinking... Okay, like obviously we don't have the real quality up front, especially last season. This is it's more the same this season. With obviously Troy was unlucky to get his injury, but I think you know we're hoping for him to be that player. But he's only 18, 19 years old, so it's like how far can you really think he's going to go? Um, I think you know there is obviously some like good promise about him. I think even Ireland they called him up to the twenty one squad in the international break. He then got promoted to the senior squad, so I feel like there must be something that we've not seen just yet. So I'm hopeful we can be that player, but. Again, it's hard to say. He's come back from an injury, so I'll give him a few games. Yeah, I think the jury's still out, but we are hopeful. Staying level-headed. Uh, just one win at home this season for Millwall. Would you say the lack of fans is having an impact? Massively. I mean, any club could say that, obviously, with their home form, but I feel like, especially with a game like yesterday, with a club legend coming back, the, the crowd would be a bit more, I think, vocal. And I do feel, obviously, the whole stereotype of coming to the den, you know, like I do feel like we've missed that this season. 
And I think a lot of our play was fixed around that last season where we was pressing high, trying to get after people. But when you're kind of, you know, playing with no fans there, it's quite easy to kind of make it be a training match sort of atmosphere. I remember the first game back against uh, Justice Derby and they uh, simply scored a hat-trick that day. But would Sibley have scored a hat-trick at the dead in front of 15,000 fans? It's debatable, you know, it's one of those ones. I feel like if there was a mill crowd there that's up for the game and something to play for, I do feel it has a bigger effect than other clubs in the state, in the, in, in the league, sorry. Yeah, it's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Justin, for Cardiff, a point's a point, isn't it? It is, especially when you're coming up against a team who, you know, as Omar said, have a similar style of play. You never know what, you know, you know you do you cancel each other out or it's, it's a case of who's better at doing what they're what they're good at. Um, so a draw on, on you know on, on reflection is probably a good result. But I say the only disappointing thing for Cardiff is is just the quality they've got and they're not they're not putting chances away. I think Wilson had a good chance against Bierkowski. There's quality in there, they've got to do better. Yeah. I really like Kiefer Moore's goal. Very well taken, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually. And if he gets a regular supply of chances to him, then it was mm. go a hat full for Cardiff. It's just about actually getting those chances to him. Uh, James Omar, thanks for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to take you around the grounds and we'll start off with the new league leaders who are Norwich. They managed to break Borough's unbeaten run of 10 games by beating them 1-0 thanks to a Timu Puku penalty. Although Borough had a penalty of their own just allowed after Marcus Tavernier was judged to have kicked the spot kick twice. Jacob Robinson is from the Norwich podcast Canary Cast. Jacob, did you feel a bit fortunate here? Yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, Borough did edit probably throughout the whole game, really. They had, like you say, the, the main chance for the penalty, which I've never seen before. It's just a complete slice of luck there. But to be fair, Norwich had, had another penalty, I think, after Middlesbrough missed theirs or was de- apparently missed there. Uh, we, we played a lot better. It seemed like we were like, um, right, we need to control this game now and get it won. Um, it's a ground out result. And uh, I don't think Norwich have played well at all yet this season, really, apart from Bristol City away and we're top of the league. So <laughs> that shows every, everything about the, the quality of this squad and, and what it could be. Yeah, it's quite funny that you say that, actually, Jacob, because I've been a bit sceptical about Norwich this season because I don't think they've really got into top gear yet. But is that something you agree with, that we're yet to see the best of this Norwich side? Yeah, 100%. I think I think it's completely different from when we went up two seasons ago. You know, no one really expected Norwich to be there. Uh, and we took advantage of that. You know, Team Puki had a lot of space in behind, through balls from Brian Deer, Stiefman, and that's why he got 30 goals. This year it's difficult because we're having teams drop back against us. I don't think Borough was as bad yesterday, but we're having more of the ball than everybody else. And like I say, a lot of teams playing five at the back and camping out against us, which which is what we find difficult. You know, after one Premier League season where actually we were very poor, it's just, it's just a different change in mentality when teams come to Cow Road or or we rock up to their place. Yeah, we do need to. Um, improve because we're not taking as many chances uh, as we should be but um, we're slowly but surely getting there we've got injuries as well we've got a midfielder player at left back that could cause us issues in the future one right back two unquestionable centre-backs in terms of fitness and then one striker at the moment if Jordan Hugel's injured after yesterday so there's reasons to be optimistic but also to be cautious yeah, it's something we've seen quite a lot with Norwich, isn't it? Where teams are setting up very defensively and that's why you've had to rely on quite a few late goals this season. But the fact you're getting results against these teams who are setting up to sit back against you, that's usually a good sign of a very good team, isn't it? 100%. Max Aaron said after the game, and we, we've seen it so many times, if you don't play well and still win it, it shows a sign of a good team. I think, um, like, like, like you say, that 
it's teams teams are fearful of Norwich and they, they know the threats they've got but if we're still picking up points we're still top of the league without playing well I, I worry for the rest of the league when we do start playing well and really start clicking because you never know we could really really go on a, another run we're on eight games at the, unbeaten at the moment and that's like we're saying we've probably played one game very well so yeah I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to the rest of the season hopefully we just continue the, the momentum and see the improvements in the likes of Buendia, Stieperman, Pukki and the rest of them. Cheers, Jacob. That is Jacob from CanaryCast. Justin, would you agree with Jacob that Norwich are really yet to reach top gear yet? Yeah, definitely. And the fact that they're top of the league as well just gives you an indication of the quality in the squad. Um, yeah, no, it's six, six wins out of eight as well, and it's eight unbeaten um, without playing brilliantly. It's it's testament to the players that they've got. Um, and I think they've benefited as well from... You know, not 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 having a change of manager like Bournemouth and Watford have, for example. Um, but just a quick word on their defence: they they seem much better at managing games this time around compared to the the last title winning season. You know, much more cautious, much more pragmatic. Um, the last eight games, for example, they've conceded just six, which is second only to Borough, who have the best defence in the league. And I think pound for pound, they've got the the best defence in the league. You know, you're looking at the players that they've got: they are Grant Hanley and Ben Gibson as the centre halves. They're two. They're two. They've been there and done it at this level. And Max Irons as well is one of the most exciting prospects in the league. And left back, that's probably the only headache. But once Quintier's back fully fit, Sorensen's uh, a midfielder and he seems to be doing a job. So yeah, really impressed with Norwich. I disagree with you actually. I think defensively is probably their weak spot. Um, they're ranking 14th in the championship for chances created against them. And I think they have ridden their luck a bit at times and are often saved by Tim Krull being the best keeper in the league or Marcus Tavernier kicking his penalty against his other foot. <laughs> Having said that, Norwich being top isn't as much of an injustice in my eyes as Reading was earlier in the season. Um, because as me and Jacob were just saying, they're getting results and at the end of the day, they're doing it despite not being in top gear. And that's usually the sign of a good side. Yeah. Um, but Borough, Neil Warnock was fuming with the referee after the game, Justin, uh, for a change. He said uh, Norwich should have had a sending off late on. And he said, why haven't we got the officials that know what they are doing? It is a disgrace. So he wasn't too happy. <laughs> uh, but it does bring to an end Borough's 10-match unbeaten run. Uh, only the second goal they've conceded in eight games, though. So they shouldn't be too disheartened, should they? No, and it, it seemed fitting that the only thing separating the two best defences in the Championship was a penalty. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think Borough perhaps edged the game in terms of the chances they created. Um, they, I thought they had the better chances, but, you know, and as I say, to come away with nothing is a, is a bit uphill to swallow, which is probably why Warnock was so angry. But, you know, that's the quality that Norwich possess. They punished, they punished um, Borough when they needed to. Um, but it's just a case of just dust yourself down and go again because we know Borough can can hit well a very good a very good gear yeah definitely the thing is they've only conceded one goal from open play so far this season well and i think (laughs) i think in the efl and europe's top five leagues only psg and ac milan have done that so that goes to show what a sensational job he's doing defensively the only issue is going forwards only three teams have scored fewer goals but the thing is they are creating chances they just haven't got that player who's going to score 15 goals this season Ashley Fletcher could have been that man but he's out injured and isn't expected to be back for a while so Mm -hmm. imagine if he was there who knows where Borough could uh, be but I still think they could be a surprise contender for promotion this season based on what we've seen so far 
Uh, the side who are second in the championship is Bournemouth. They beat Reading 4-2. We'll talk about the Cherries in a sec, but for Reading, it's their fourth straight loss and they've now tumbled down to sixth in the table. Alex Everson is from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. And Alex, it must have been a pretty frustrating game for you to watch. Frustrating to be an understatement, to be honest, Ryan. Throwing it away in the second half after going 2-0 up against the promotion contender away from home is very, very annoying to watch. Um, and, I mean, multiple goals there we conceded were defensive errors and goalkeeping errors and bad decisions and uh, could have been avoided. Um, so it's not an easy watch at the minute. Um, defensively, we looked okay, to be honest, for the first 50 minutes and then as soon as we conceded just mentally we just fell apart and um, it just seemed inevitable that, that Bournemouth would probably go on and win the game after they scored the first goal and it's felt like that for the last three, few games we, we we concede the first well we concede a goal and then we look like we're going to struggle to be able to um, to keep ourselves in the game which is ultimately very very difficult to watch as a fan yeah, defensively, it was very much a game of two halves for Reading, wasn't it? First half, very solid. Reading looked like the side that we saw earlier in the season. But the second half was all a bit of a mess, really, wasn't it? Uh, Rafael Cabral was at fault for the fourth goal. And it's not the first time he's been at fault for a goal this season, which is surprising, really, because he was one of the best goalkeepers in the championship last season, wasn't he? But he's not. he looks a bit shaky at the moment, doesn't he? He's definitely going through a poor run of form. Uh, as you say, he was at fault for the fourth goal yesterday and couldn't really apportion the blame on anyone except him. And there's probably been, I mean, last three or four games, you could probably put blame on him for at least one of the goal in each game. Um, and it's it's unfortunate because, yeah, he, he definitely had the reputation last season of being one of the top keepers in the championship. and. A lot of that came down to to the fact he had such a high save percentage in in the league, and he was, I think he was first or second in in save percentage in this season. He's he's dead last for save percentage. Um, it, it's definitely something which is an issue at the minute. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if Luke Southwood was to come in. Um, I don't think it will happen personally. I think we'll probably end up seeing Raphael stay in goal, but. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he was given a game or two on the bench. Yeah, surprising to hear that, Alex, considering how important he was to Reading last season. But nonetheless, it is four straight losses now for Reading. Uh, as a Reading fan, do you see many signs of them managing to turn this form around? I mean, there's got to be some signs there. We, we, we were 2-0 up in the first half. We restricted Bournemouth yesterday really well in the first half to, to very little. So there's got to be some element of of control and and context I guess but at the same time football's a 90 minute game and if you can't perform over 90 minutes then where are you you're not, you're not going to get three points are you so um, our next game's against Millwall and then Bristol City and those two are both going to be tough games as well um, whether we're going to pick up three points against either of them is, is very tough to say it's been a long month supporting Reading and I don't think that it's going to get any easier for the next week um, we've got I think Sheffield Wednesday at the start of December and hopefully that will be a kind of easier game for us to, to get our teeth into and try and turn this round of form around 
worth remembering Reading have got John Swift to come back but cheers Alex Reading struggling at the moment Justin do you think they can turn this form around I mean they did the job in the first half didn't they they they, they threw away a two goal lead you know you, you go to ahead and it's, then it's just about managing the game and they didn't do that um, I mean you consider how good defensively Reading were before this poor run of form started it's a it, you know, it is a surprise and it's probably a big worry they've conceded 13 in the last four um, having conceded three in the in the six before that that's that's quite a, quite a quite a sharp decline um they're undoing all the hard work they did earlier in on earlier on in the season um and it just feels like reading are falling into old habits players are making too many areas Raphael, no idea what is what's going through ahead uh, on a number yeah. of occasions so far um they have to do better defensively uh, you know, it's not good enough for a side aiming to finish mid-table let alone any higher yeah, I've of course not been too impressed with Reading so far and I thought they dropped down the table soon. But, and I know this is going to sound weird to say after they've just had four straight losses, but there have been signs of them being able to turn this around. They're creating chances and in the first half they were really solid defensively. The issue is they were never going to keep putting away those chances as regularly as they were earlier in the season. So I'd say as long as Reading consistently create chances and cut out the silly mistakes at the back like we saw yesterday... There's no reason why they can't end up having a good season. I still think the playoffs would be a step too far. But I maintain a top half finish would not be a bad season at all for Reading. Do you agree? It would be, but when you consider that we're top of the top of the table, again, it's just hard to hard to take when you when you know you can do better. They've shown that they can do better and they're not doing it at the moment, which is really, really frustrating. I was really impressed with Bournemouth, though, even in the first half when they were struggling to break down Reading. They were knocking the ball around like a Premier League side. And the individual talent, as we all know, uh, that they have on offer, it really shone through. And it's not surprising when those players are Premier League quality, I suppose. But Brooks and Dan Juma were sensational on the wings. Solanke got better as the game went on. Lewis Cook was excellent. And I was really enjoying what I was seeing from this Bournemouth team. And I tell you what, if I had to bet my life on a team to win the league this season, at this stage, I would say Bournemouth. They look like Mm. the side that's nearest to being the complete package for me. Would you agree? Yeah, I think player for player, they're, they're miles ahead of anybody. Um, Lewis Cook, for me, is such a good talent and was knocking on the door of England at one point before he had some really bad injuries. Mm. Um, and then you consider the fact that Solanke is such a high-rated prospect and Juma, again, another prospect. Um, the, 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 change in, the change in the game for me was putting Lloyd Kelly at left-back. Just added a lot more width, a lot more athleticism getting up and down. And the quality of crosses that went into the box was, was miles better than when it was under uh, with Rico playing there. Um, and, and as well as that, you've got Mepham, who's, who's a good ball-playing defender. Player for player, Bournemouth are miles ahead of a lot of teams. Norwich, I think the only, they're only going to benefit from that, you know, keeping the same manager. Um, that's the only difference, I think, between those teams. Mm. There's not many weaknesses you can pick in this form of side, is there? There really isn't. Got to give a mention to that Lewis Cook goal as well. What a clean strike that was. Goals always instantly become twice as good when they hit the crossbar as they go in. That was such a clean strike. I loved it. I want to say that's my goal of the season so far. It's a contender just because there was so little backswing and it just flew in. It It was like a chip with a bit of velocity. It was lovely. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was so good. Uh, Tony Pulis had his first game in charge at Wednesday, but he'll be one to forget after losing 1-0 to Preston, although he wasn't helped after Josh Windass was sent off on 20 minutes for what I can only describe as a WWE-style big boot. Uh, Dan Fudge is from the Wednesday week. So, Dan, how did things look with the new man in charge? Set up as you would a Tony Pulis team. We're going to play 4-4-2. Uh, we're going to bypass the midfield, so it's like Tony Pulis looked at the team and went, who's our best ball-moving ball, ball moving player? Oh, it's Barry Bannon. Let's kick it over his head. Um, I must admit, it was exactly what we thought we were going to get. We had Barry Bannon dropping deep and uh, trying to, you know, be the one sending the ball flying over, which takes out our second-best player, Massimo Luongo, completely out of the game. I must admit, I'm not Tony Pulis's biggest fan. Uh, I'm, I, I believe that we've uh, worried about relegation far too much and we've got in somebody who hasn't been relegated. I, I, I think that um, we could have done better. We had an opportunity to, uh, to really change the ethos around the club, but instead we got something steady. Yeah, Kieran Westwood back in goal. Is that a decision that's been roundly supported by Wednesday fans? Kieran Westwood is a very divisive character. There seems to be a social media fraternity that want to um, that want to berate everything he does, and then on the other half, you've got other people that that, that love him. Um, I think what we seem to forget is that his form was pretty terrible when he had his fallout with Gary Monk and got dropped. Um, what we have now is three average goalkeepers. Uh, we have two that were up and coming that we seem to ruin the career of. And then we've got Kieran Westwood, who's clearly on his way down. I think a clean sweep through the entire position is needed for me. Fair enough. And finally, Dan, uh, Pulis, as you mentioned, is well known for just keeping teams up. Are you confident that he will be able to just take Wednesday out of the relegation battle? I don't think I was really concerned about relegation anyway. The, I think the players that we've got are are good enough to keep us up. It, for me, it's the attitude around the place. It's dour. It's slow paced. It's there's a huge negative influence running through the club, and we needed somebody to galvanise the fans and the players alike. And what we got was Grandad Pulis. Grandad Pulis, nice one. Cheers, Dan. Uh, Justin, we'll get your thoughts on Grandad Pulis in the news a bit later on. Yeah. Let's talk Preston for now because this was their first win at Deepdale this season. However, I wouldn't say it's definitely a sign that their fortunes at home have changed too much because they weren't outstanding, were they? No, no. I mean, you do have the caveat with the fact that Pulis' teams are so hard to break down. Uh, he's yeah. so he's so meticulous in his defensive planning. Um but it's Preston's first home win of the season. Let's just revel in that. Like, you know, they, they've needed this to just sort of get them, I don't know, not, not even confidence because they are getting results away from home. It just breaks a hoodoo. It gets the monkey off the back. Um, a cheeky fact here as well. Serena is our second clean sheet at home in the last 25 games, which isn't the best record considering no. they've, their home record last season was so good. Um, but yeah, as you say, it was it was such an, it is an important win for Preston. Not the best performance, but You've got to grind those games out. Yeah, worth pointing out as well, this was only their second goal at home this season as well, which just goes to show how much they've been struggling at Deepdale. Have you seen the video of Darnell Fisher and Callum Patterson from this game? Yes, a bit weird. Yep. Bit Darnell handy. Fisher gave little Patterson a fiddle down there, which was nice of him, I suppose. Um, giving him a little tickle. Nonetheless, Preston up to 12th now with this win. And have got a Lancashire derby with Blackburn on Tuesday, which is a big game for both sides. Uh, another side who have had a managerial change is Derby. 
they've got a coaching team in charge for the time being of Liam Messina, Shay Given, Justin Walker and some bloke named Wayne Rooney. It wasn't a good start for them, though, as they lost 1-0 to Bristol City. Jack Dawson is from the Bristol City podcast BS3 Talk. How was the game from your perspective, Jack? In truth, it really wasn't a very good game. I think, yeah, it gave a few chances, but I think ultimately from a City perspective, it was to be expected. The club had a massive COVID outbreak, over 10 cases, Dean Holland confirmed after the game. And with two training sessions to even win a game, also we were expecting Derby to be rejuvenated and I thought they were. I thought they were quite good. They were, I think they were a better side, probably had more possession. Maybe a few more clear-cut chances. Bentley was probably more dangerous of the goalkeepers. But from a City's perspective, that's two clean sheets in a row, two one nil wins in a row. And defensively, we're looking solid. I thought that was a concern I had at the start of the season defensively. But now we're looking, we're taking our few chances that we're getting. I think Semenya has been very, very good going forward. Six assists for the season for him now. And Jade, you come off the bench to score. I think that's a real benefit of us. We get goals throughout the squad. Jade off the bench for his first goal of the season. So yeah, all in all, it wasn't going to be never going to be ideal. But the win, a win's the most important thing. Yeah, considering what's been going on with the training ground, with it being shut down for the past fortnight, pretty much uh, with COVID cases, it's particularly impressive that they managed to get the win here. But looking at the table, Bristol City third now, three wins in the last three. You must be pretty pleased with the way things are going under Dean Holden. Very pleased and almost pleasantly surprised because we went on a quite a poor mini run of games, I think, just before the Huddersfield game where we lose into Middlesbrough uh, and a few defeats in there, but Bournemouth as well. But in truth, I think our performances have never been too bad. I think at times we've almost changed our style lately. At the start of the season, I think the Sheffield Wednesday game, the Stoke game, we were looking good going forward, but it was almost the other end that we were looking wobbly as such. But now, especially the Norwich home game, we were considered three goals in the first half were absolutely terrible defensively. But yes, there was a massive contrast to that. I thought we were solid. Third in the table, I don't think we'll keep that up, to be honest. I think in a few games, we've, we've been quite lucky. We've got a few breaks here and there. But all in all, I think, yeah, very happy. The squad is, it's a very deep squad. I think that'll benefit us with five subs. We've got so many midfield options, so many attacking options with Semenyo coming through this year. But I think that the defence, we are a bit light still, so that'll be my one concern. But all in all, very happy, of course. Let me just pick you up on what you've said there, Jack. So, despite the good start to the season, you don't think Bristol City will be able to maintain a playoff push this season? I think playoff push, for sure. But I think third is dizzying heights at the minute, to be honest. I think I look at the teams around us, I like see likes of Watford, Bournemouth, Norwich, and I think keeping track of teams like that with those kind of squads, even the likes of Swansea and Stoke, I think that's going to be a challenge for us. It's a test. I think there's always going to be a season of transition. Playoffs, I, I do think, are on. I think we've got the quality for playoffs. I think we've got the spirit as a group for playoffs. There was a great picture last night after the game with Thomas Callas just led down on the floor and Dan Benny picking him up because that's the amount of effort the team putting in at the minute. But I think just to compete with the quality around us of the relegated teams from the Premier League especially, I think that's going to be a big, big ask, I think, for any of the championship clubs from last year. Clubs like us, club like, clubs like Brentford, like Preston, I think to keep up with those Bournemouth, Warwick, uh, Warwick, Watford and Norwich, sorry, is going to be a challenge. But that's why I think playoffs, yes, I think automatics are looking to push for some of the quality of team around us. Fair enough. Cheers, Jack. Not too optimistic about Bristol City finishing in the playoffs this season, Justin. Are you a bit more positive about their chances? I am, because let's consider the fact that Bristol City had two days to prepare for this game and they still beat Derby. I know it's I know they beat bottom of the league, but they, they still looked... Quite, you know, fairly resolute. You know, Viner and um, Callas were tremendous. Um, I thought I, I, I am a little bit more optimistic. I thought Semenu is starting to come into the season a, a lot more. He was really good yesterday as well. You just got to go. You just got to squeeze goals out of Naki Wells, and I think that's that's really the only sort of thing that they need to really improve on is 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 
taking their chances when they come. But yeah, I, I, I'm fully on board the Bristol City in the playoffs bus, uh, you know, as we like to put it. Zach Viner is someone who has really impressed me for Bristol City this season. Yeah. But I tend to agree with Jack. I think there were more teams who look stronger than Bristol City this season and the ish- injuries that they've had haven't helped things. However, if they keep winning, then who knows? Justin, Derby County. We'll talk more about who you want as the new manager later mm. on. But the coaching quartet, what did you think of their first game in charge? I wasn't bowled over. I thought there was a lot of errors that, that slipped into it. I also think we're the first... I'd say we're a media outlet, wouldn't you, Ryan? Yes. Yeah. I'd say I'd say I'd say we're the first media outlet that hasn't said Rooney's in charge, um, which is which is good because he's not in charge. You know, there's a quarter as you point out, but I wasn't overawed with it. Um, you know, two shots on target, same as under Kaku. Wagon was anonymous, and Lawrence in the final third offers pretty much next to nothing other than a shot from thirty yards out. Uh, but going back to the game, um, I think the first faux pas was shifting Knight to the right and dropping Shinny. Both have been the best midfielders for Derby. Um, so moving them out of the middle was a mistake. Rooney had 114 touches, the most by 30 touches of any player on the pitch. Um, so everything was going through him, yet the team created absolutely nothing. So the argument there is, what is his purpose on the pitch other than it's Wayne Rooney? Um, maybe maybe but, he's better off being in the dugout. Hmm... I mean, if he wants to be a manager, that's where he should be. You can't be you can't be playing manager. It's it's not the nineties anymore. Sorry, Wayne. Um, <laughs> but there was ample times where the ball went out wide. Derby created an overload and got the ball across the face of the goal. But there was no midfield runner coming in. Shinny and Knight do offer that. Bird and Rooney don't. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. I saw plenty of Derby fans saying it was one of their better performances this season. It was. Which- which says a lot because even then it wasn't very good. Uh, right, let's have a break, Justin. After that, we'll talk Barnsley, Stoke, and Swansea. It's a little known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk. In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast Barnsley. And now on four wins in five after beating Forest 2-0, Carlo van der Watering is from the Barnsley Podcast Red Report. Carlo, your thoughts on the game? Uh, pretty sure it was a much anticipated match between Barnsley and Forest on the previous two occasions towards the end of last season and early on this season in the EFL Cup. Uh, Barnsley both won without uh, Forest scoring a goal and given we've just come out of the uh, international break, I think a lot of Barnsley fans were uh, eager to see what Valerian Ismail had done with his side and um, Forest obviously a hugely changed side. Listen, it could have been 6-4, it could have been 7-5. Um, chances either way, we hit the, we hit the woodwork. I think it was three times. Valerian Ismail used his substitute very, very wisely and it meant we could keep up our pressing high-intensity game and come away with a 2-0 win. 
Yeah, last time we had a chat, Barnsley weren't doing very well. Gerhard Struber had just left to go to New York and Valerian Ishmael has since come in and he's now got four wins out of his last five. You must be pretty pleased with the way things are going. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, initially when Valerian Ismail was uh, appointed, uh, a lot of searches were going off on Wikipedia, Google, Bing, other search engines are available. Um, we didn't really know much of him except that, um, the style, the formation that he likes to play, that high-pressing football. And I think what, what gave him some of the, the quick wins is that he, he, plays, he, he played people in the natural position. You know, for over a season, we've seen Coley Woodrow in the number 10 role. And it's, it's no coincidence that I'm actually putting him up front as a striker. He's now scoring goals. Um, Alex Mowat, captain fantastic. Instead of a defensive midfielder, since the arrival of Matty James, has been able to go up pitch a little bit further. Tactically, he's got it. He's just absolutely spot on. He demands a lot from his players. He wants them to put everything out on the pitch and be there for each other. And I think what you see is a very united Barnsley side. Yeah, and Carlo, we were tipping Barnsley to finish mid-table this season. Now, after the start that they had, that seems a bit unlikely. But you now find yourselves 13th. Do you think a mid-table finish is likely this season? Or could you maybe finish even higher? Yeah, Barnsley playing some really attractive football to watch, but more importantly, it's effective football. We're getting the points, and especially at the back with Jack Walton and a very decent defence, we're not letting many goals in. Listen, I think any Barnsley fan will take a mid-table position. In fact, we'll take 19th. This is all about consolidation with the new manager and the players that we've got. What we can see, however, is that the young players are now maturing, they're getting better, and um, listen, I said it before, we would rather compete than just survive and I think of the last few matches what we've seen is a Barnsley side that's turning into a really decent championship side that wouldn't really be flattered with a mid-table position because I think at the moment that's definitely what we deserve. Nice one. Cheers, Carlo. Yep, Barnsley have managed to pull away from the bottom end of the table after a poor start to the season. Can't say the same about Forest though, Justin. They look like they were picking up form just before the international break, but are struggling a bit again now, aren't they? They are, but it's really hard to take this game into account given how good Barnsley were. I just, I, I honestly don't think Forest had any chance at all against Barnsley. They were just so well drilled. Um, Forest couldn't get to grips with it. Um, um, you know, when you're a team like Forest who sit in coming up, coming up uh, against a side that presses you relentlessly, it feels impossible. Um, and just with the quality of player they have at the club and the depth of quality of player they have at the club, which again comes with an argument, they should they should really be doing better. Um, but I just think they came up against a better team in Barnsley. You want to sort of move on from this game as quickly as possible, get it out of your mind and, and go again midweek. You're a big fan of the Valerian Ishmael submarine? I'm on it. I'm on it. This was a statement win from Barnsley. They, they were ridiculously good. The wing backs were unbelievable. Britain and Styles were just fantastic. And Corley Woodrow, oh, what a player. Yeah, what a player. And as Carlo mentioned there, Alex Mowat's getting more freedom now because of mm. Matty James. So there's a lot to like about this Barnsley team at the moment. I think for Forrest, the results will come. I'm confident about that. Yeah, They're yeah. creating plenty of chances. It's just that Lauer Taylor is seemingly the only, seemingly the only one putting them away, which is a bit of frustration for Chris Hewton. Uh, possibly the game of the weekend came at the Bet365 Stadium between Stoke and Huddersfield. It finished 4-3. The man <coughs> coming away with the headlines again, though, Justin, is Tyrese Campbell, who is playing out of his skin at the moment, isn't he? Do you mean Sam Vokes? 
yeah well a bit of explanation there <laughs> stoke fans are doing that thing on social media where they don't want too much hype around tyrese camel because they're worried about him potentially leaving and i think they've got four reasons to be worried about him leaving because i tell you what if they don't go up this season then he could be looked at by quite a few premier league clubs for a 20 year old to be playing with the confidence that he has at the moment it's great to see and there aren't too many players in the championship who are as dangerous as he is right now the most impressive thing is he's been asked to play a number of different positions this season right wing left wing up front whatever michael o'neill asked him to do He's done it, and he's done it with class. Listen, I'm sure fans of other clubs are getting sick of us mentioning <laughs> him all the time, but he is a top, top player. And as long as he continues to get better and better, then Stoke are promotion contenders this season in my eyes. Do you agree? I, I do agree. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out that it's not as simple as just you know O'Neill asking him to play right wing, left wing. There's a plan here, and O'Neill has set the forward three perfectly. By playing that front three along with the wing-backs, naturally wing-backs create the width. Fletcher comes deeper for the ball, which allows Campbell uh, and Brown to make runs inside, um, which explains the chances of both getting. And, and Tyrese Campbell, as we mentioned, he's got five goals and five assists in his last nine. He's scored five goals from just 12 shots this season. He's, he's 20 years old. He's, yeah. No wonder we're laxing, uh, waxing lyrical about him because he's just ridiculously efficient and he's so intelligent with his runs as well. He's, he's, such, a, he's such a good player in the making. Such a good player. Uh, they also had Sam Klukas back in as well after a month out with injury. He got a goal and is another top, top player in this Stoke squad. It's a very well-rounded side, really, isn't it? I'm a massive fan of what Michael O'Neill is doing at the club. One concern is they're down to their third-choice keeper now in 20-year-old Joseph Bursick because Angus Gunn and Adam Davies look like they're going to be out until the new year. Uh, that's the big concern because letting in three goals on your debut, not a good start. But we'll, wait. we'll have to wait and see with him. He was at, he was on loan at Doncaster, so it's not a you know, League One. He was playing regularly. It's not a massive step up for him, I suppose. No, and he takes free kicks as well. Does he? Yeah, I've seen videos circling him, uh, circling of him taking free kicks. More of that, please. I'm all for a, I'm all for a Ruggiero Shenny <laughs> uh, kind of a thing. Yeah. He's the he's the Brazilian goalkeeper. He used to he got like over a hundred goals didn't he in his career? Something from, stupid. From taking his free kicks. Yeah, if he's going to take free kicks, then we on the second tier podcast endorse that. Uh, even though they lost, Justin, plenty of positives here for Huddersfield. Yeah, I just think a few players had off days. Individual errors cost them in this game. Pereira, for example, made an error passing the ball straight out to one of the Stoke forwards. Stearman's not a ball-playing defender, and um, Chroma was quiet. And, you know, it's it was just a, it was just a bad day at the office for for a number of players. Um, but they stayed in the game and they did carve Stoke open a number of times. So to score three goals away from home is is, is a big plus to take away from here. Is mm. it, this is this is a good team I think in the making under Corbrand. I'm really really liking it. Yeah, he's doing a good job, isn't he? Isaac and Benza is starting to show the quality that he has mm -hmm. finally. Yeah. Uh, while Cavill Eiting in midfield looks a real player. He got a goal and an assist, but he moves the ball really well. Not too mm -hmm. surprising considering he's come through the Ajax Academy, Academy <laughs> but he looks a quality signing. Uh, Swansea, they're fourth after beating Rotherham 1-0. Matt Grimes getting the goal. The most impressive thing here, Justin, is that they won without their talisman in Andre Ayew. Yeah, I mean, it's just testament to Steve Cooper. Again, I'm unhealthily obsessed with him. And he's just so <laughs> good. He's just such a good coach. Um, and it might be, you know, not, not probably not giving enough credit to the players, but, um, you know, they, they've become harder to beat 
nationally because the squad for me lacks quality in the final third. Um, they've got the second best defence in the league. Five out of the six wins this season have come without conceding. So they're managing games really well. And you just feel that just with a little bit more um, a little bit more investment into the team under Steve Cooper, this could be a team that competes for the automatics. It really can. Out of interest, why is your obsession with Steve Cooper unhealthy? Because Derby have a managerial opening, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I would like him at the club. I don't, too, I don't think too many Swansea fans will thank you for saying that. No. Um, I don't think it would be remiss to say they have relied a bit on AU this season, haven't they, mm-hmm. going forwards. But it wasn't an issue because they should have scored another two at least in this game, shouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, but Matt Grimes got the goal and he really showed for me why he's one of the best midfielders in the league. Um, yes, he got the goal, but he pretty much ran the game. And there's been criticism aimed at him this season uh, by Swansea fans. And he was dropped for a couple of games, but he's one hell of a player. He's someone who I envy as a fan of another championship club. Uh, but Rotherham had a shout for a penalty in the second half. Thoughts on that? I honestly can't remember it. Please describe it. It was a handball on the line. It did seem a bit suspect, but at the same time, if Rotherham got a point from this game, then I think it would have been very unfair mm. on Swansea. Let's move on. There was an accumulator buster, Justin, as Wickham drew 0-0 with Brentford. I say it was an acker buster, but I can't really make too much of a case for Brentford deserving the win here. No, I thought Wickham were great and it's a good result for them. Um, it's a disappointing one for, for Brentford, as you say. Can't really make a case. Again, I triple captain Tony for my fantasy football didn't go didn't go to plan at all and um that's what i think that's what makes me worried about brentford even finishing in the playoffs you know for a team with aspirations of finishing in the top 2 you know you have to criticize a poor start i just feel they've lost too much quality in the final third the new signings aren't settling quickly enough the likes of canos and macondes uh, aren't good enough consistently for me um and and the only solace i can take is brentford are two, two points better off this season than they were last season after 12 games but they had the mercurial talent of Ben Rama uh, and played with a bit of swagger going forward. You know, it would take it would take a monumental run of form again to 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 challenge for the automatics. But you just you have to criticise ultimately the, the the lack of umph going forward. It's hard to disagree. I'll give you that. They have created plenty of chances this season. It's just not going their way really and we were saying earlier that Norwich haven't reached top gear yet Brentford haven't really got out first gear and that's the real concern but I don't think we could take anything away from Wickham here can we they were superb yeah no they they, they were and you know I'm starting to think there are three worse teams in this league than Wickham and that's not I don't mean it as a disrespect to Wickham um, but they have something that the likes of Derby and Sheffield Wednesday don't have at the moment which is determination and a bit of character and that's what's seeing them through these games because they don't they don't have the quality to compete so they need a little bit extra uh, and they've got that. Yeah, definitely. Luton won, Blackburn won. There were some interesting refereeing decisions in this game against Blackburn. They could have had a couple of penalties and there was another one which was the clearest foul I've ever seen that just wasn't given. <laughs> um, any thoughts on this game? Um, I just think at this rate, both teams are on course to finish mid-table. It was one of those games, um, you know, if decisions don't go your way, you, you start to complain but I think it's just it's just frustrating from a Blackburn perspective considering how good they are going forward and how many chances they create and, and, and how many shots they have they just don't they don't convert them enough that's the only thing that's letting them down 
which is amazing when you've got someone like Adam Armstrong who mm. is scoring goals for fun. QPR won, Watford won, Watford State in the playoffs with this result, but it seemed a fairly uh, fair result in the end for both sides. Let's do who knows wins, Justin. This is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. You just need to download the who knows wins app and join our league. Guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. The win pot this week was a massive £384. And there was one clear winner. Congratulations to Dogbite, who got nine correct results and went home with £175. That's not too bad, is it? Uh, well done, sir or madam. It's not necessarily clear. I came joint 13th with about 20 other players, so I won £1.50. Solid weekend's work for me. Justin, you won nothing. How do you feel? Yeah. I, I was hoping you didn't win money. I tried, I was looking down for your name and just hoping you didn't win anything. <laughs> Unfortunately, you did. But yeah, no, really, really frustrating week. And there's just too many draws this week for me, I think. I think it was quite a tricky week. But as we say, Dogby got nine correct results which is not bad going out of 12. Yeah. Uh, we've got midweek games coming up, so make sure you join our midweek league before the deadline on Tuesday for your chance to win some big money. Let's go through our predictions. Justin, Luton v Birmingham, who are you having? I'm going for a Luton win. I'm also going for a Luton win. QPR Rotherham? Uh, I'm going for a QPR win. I'm going draw. Stoke Norwich? I'm going for a Norwich win. I'm going draw. Wickham Huddersfield? I'm going Huddersfield win. Draw Barnsley v Brentford. Uh, I'm actually going to edge towards Barnsley here. Uh, so am I. I think that's a really tricky one to predict, yeah. but I am edging more towards Barnsley. Preston v Blackburn. Uh, draw. I'm going Blackburn. Bournemouth v Forest. Bournemouth. Yeah, it's got to be Bournemouth, hasn't it? <laughs> Borough versus Derby. <laughs> Borough. <laughs> yeah, I'm confident on that one. Borough. Millwall v Reading. Uh, draw. I'm backing the wall. Coventry versus Cardiff. Cardiff. Yeah, surely Cardiff have got to get going eventually, haven't they? Mm. I'll go with them. Bristol City v Watford. Uh, I've gone for Watford here. I've gone draw. Swansea versus Wednesday. I've gone with Swansea. I'm going for a draw and that's it. So that's who no wins. So make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the latest news from the Championship. And since you were last with us, we've had two managerial changes. We'll start with Wednesday, who have sacked Gary Monk after they won just seven of their 32 games in 2020. Tony Pulis is the new man in. Justin, your thoughts? I'm all over it. I love really? it. Really? Yeah, I am. And we discussed it a little bit um, when it when it happened. I, I, I'm a big fan of Pulis and what he gets out of teams and how he organises them. You know, there's a lot to... A lot to be desired going forward at times. It's not pretty either. But when you're a team that start the season, you know, first start the season on minus points, defensively look not great, and going forward they don't look great. I think Pulis. I think there's only one man or two men actually, Allardyce and Pulis, that you can get into the club that can get the best out of a team um, that you've got, and, uh, as well as that, you know, Stoke rose through the divisions. Well, no, didn't rise through the divisions under him. They went from nowhere to competing um, in the Premier League under him, and could happen at Wednesday. Well, I didn't expect you to say that. I thought you were going to be dead against it. Yeah. Um, but I'm in two minds about it, really. I think people hear Tony Pulis and instantly think, uh, crap football, uninspiring choice. But he is a good manager at this level. 
and I believe he can turn things around for Wednesday, turn them into a top half side and maybe even playoff contenders in the long term. But I do accept that it does come across as a bit of a panic appointment and they could have given the job to a young manager who could really build something with the club. Someone like Danny Cowley, who I think has the potential to be a Premier League manager with the right job. Uh, but let's talk about the other one that's a bit closer to your heart, Justin. Uh, Derby have sacked Philip Cocker after the club won just once in their first 11 games. As mentioned, there is a coaching team in charge for now, which is headed up by Wayne Rooney and Liam Vazinia. Both this week stated they want to make the step up to management. As you can imagine, much of the media is very excited at the idea of Rooney being in charge. And he seems to be the most likely appointment. Would you be a fan of that, Justin? Uh, absolutely not. And I think if you ask any Derby fan, they'll say the same. There are just so many things going against Rooney, given the fact that he's got no coaching experience other than the last year at Derby. And he's got no managerial experience. He's got no badges. I and mean, actually, he's got, his, he's got one of his badges, actually. But he's yet to make it up to the next level. Liam Rossini is the most qualified one out of them too but even Rossini for me just, it's not the right appointment you need to make when your team's bottom of the league you need to make a, 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 an appointment that inspires fans uh, and, and the players and unfortunately when two of those coaches were under the previous regime that failed there has to be a restart that just has to be a restart um, yeah, another point. You know, for me, the club sunk to the lowest since when Paul Jewell had his sex tape released back when they were in the Premier League. <laughs> you know, it's the current position for me is the lowest they've been since then. Um, the new owner, the, the new owner coming in is he's got to come in and he's got to gut it at first team level. That's the coaching team. That's um, some of the players. You can't, you can't, you just cannot hire a rookie manager who's got no coaching experience. Um, so neither neither fit the bill for me. And I've already said who I want. So I can't believe <laughs> in 2020 we've managed to fit in a mention of Paul Jewell and his sex tape. What a time to be alive. <laughs> um, other names linked with the job include Rafa Benitez, although he seemed to rule himself out of the job in the week. Sam Allardyce, John Terry, Steve Cooper. Some of the other names mentioned, I presume you're not a fan of John Terry, considering what you've just mentioned. I, I struggle to see... I don't think Rafa Benitez is realistic. Sam Allardyce, I can't really see happening either. Mm. Steve Cooper, is that the one you want then? My heart my heart is set on Steve Cooper. Derby need to get away from these Hollywood appointments that they've made under, you know, Lampard come in, Rooney, you know, Benitez has been linked. They just need to get away from it. Hire a coach that's very good at coaching a team who also fits with the philosophy that the club wants to imprint. Steve Cooper fits the bill, got experience at championship level. We've we've he's shown that he can organise teams defensively. You know, so, so someone like Steve Cooper's got to come in and, and essentially do a job that no one else has been able to do for a long time and that's inspire the club and the fans and it just it hasn't happened for a number of years. I think Eddie Howe is still the man for me, but it seems like Wayne Rooney is still the mm. most likely appointment at the moment. Uh Let's move on. EFL clubs will be allowed to use five substitutes per game for the rest of the season. Benches will also be increased from seven to nine. It's to help teams cope with the fixture congestion this season. Justin, have you got any thoughts on this? Um, it, I mean, it should, well, I think there's nine games in 26 days coming up. So, And it was the same in the before the international break. So the fact that it's only just been put in is just absolutely absurd. Europe's had, the, Europe's had it all the way through the season. Uh, yeah. leaving Europe it's just bizarre it's just backwards thinking amongst English clubs or English sorry the people who run the English leagues 
Yeah. I, I The thing is that they've been arguing is it benefits the teams with the bigger squads, but I really don't think it makes that much of a difference. Mm. Unless your squad is paper thin anyway, then I can't see it massively benefiting some teams over others. People will say, but if your team picks up injuries, then it's bound to benefit the bigger squads. But the thing is, this has been brought in to stop injuries in the first place. So uh, it, it makes... I can't believe it wasn't introduced at the start of the season anyway, exactly. but there you go. Uh, the Telegraph is reporting, the government's considering letting fans into football grounds before Christmas. It would depend on which part of the tier system that ground is in, <laughs> but it's a very welcome announcement, isn't it? Well, it's not an announcement, but it's very welcome news, isn't it? I mean, they'd have to let us outside first, so... Yeah, good point. That, that, that would be great. I've got no confidence in the government and their decision-making at the moment, Ryan, so I, I take that with a pinch of salt. Uh, transfer news former Watford defender Adrian Mariapa joins Bristol City on a free similar vibes to Ashley Ashley Williams when he joined them last season do you think experienced defender was on a free they needed Mm -hmm. a few more bodies in defence Luton have signed former Reading defender Gabriel Osho uh, Middlesbrough defender Anthony Dykesteel and Brentford's Ethan Pinnock have both signed new deals over the past couple of weeks Uh, the Sun Claims Barnsley inquired about the availability of Mario Balotelli. The BBC later confirmed that this was true, saying the club got in contact with Balotelli's agent, but that's as far as it went. So we could have had Pato at Birmingham, Balotelli at Barnsley. Just the championship in a nutshell, isn't it, really? Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Bonkers. And uh, Neil Warnock was apparently nearly on I'm a Celebrity. He said in this week's press conference uh, that was the case, but didn't reveal any more details. Must keep in mind we have got listeners from outside the UK. Uh, I'm a Celebrity is a reality show where they make celebrities go into a jungle and eat pig testicles and stuff like that. Um, what were you You've say? got to die for three stars. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> uh, right, let's do some polls, Justin. This is where we ask you three questions on our Twitter, which we want the listeners to give us their feedback on. It's at Second Tier Pod on Twitter if you want to get involved. So the first question we asked this week was, who is the best attacker under the age of 21 in the championship, not counting loans? So the options we gave were Tyrese Campbell, Michael Elise and Jao Pedro. Uh, a few other people said Antoine Semenyo, which is a fair shout. Forgot mm-hmm. about him, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll go with these three for now. So Campbell, <laughs> Elise, Pedro, who you said? Um, I, yeah, I have to go with Tyrese Campbell. After what I've said about him this week, I have to go yeah. with him. It's hard to disagree, really. Tyrese Campbell got 45%. Jean Pedro got 44%. So it's wow. bloody close. Uh, Elise got 11%. So he's been left That's in the lurch a bit. Uh, who is going to finish highest out of the three relegated sides? This was very even, Justin. Who are you going to say, Bournemouth, Norwich or Watford? Given that I predicted Norwich to finish top of the table, I'm going to stick with my guns here and and say them. 26% said Norwich, 36% said Watford, 38% said Bournemouth. And I would go with Bournemouth myself as well. And finally, what is the best playing piece in Monopoly? The car, the dog, the boot, the hat. <laughs> uh, the boot. Uh, the boot got twelve percent. The hat got seventeen percent. The dog was the winner on thirty-nine percent. Car got thirty-two percent. Okay. I'm more of a dog <laughs> man myself. Also a fan of the boot, actually. Any any extra thoughts you want to add to this? I've not played Monopoly in a long time, so this is one of those that just catches you by surprise, and you've got to think on your feet. It destroys households. That's what it does. Right now, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. 
Yes, this is a little game we like to call Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. James Jenkinson from Birmingham Fan TV and Omar Renane from That Millwall Podcast. James, we haven't had many winners of this game so far this season. Do you fancy your chances here? Uh, no. No, I really not. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. No, I'm like, I just know I'll cock up on something. So um, it's got to be down to Omar, really. I like the here, guys. Uh, so I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight previous foreign managers who've been promoted from the championship, and Justin would say Marcello Bielsa, that's one down. And Omar would say Daniel Fark, that's another down. But if James would say Steve Keane, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So... Since we've got a Birmingham fan and a Derby fan playing today, I thought it's only fair we do a question about a legend for both sides. In fact, he is a championship legend. This week's question is about Lee Camp. He's been at eight teams who are currently in the championship at the moment. Can you name all eight? We'll start off with you, Omar, since uh, Lee Camp has not represented the team you support. Can you name me a team Lee Camp has represented in the championship? Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest is absolutely correct. He made the most appearances for them in the Championship, 193 in total. So that's one down. Justin, can you name a club that Lee Camp has played for in the Championship? We're including Derby, right? Yes. All right, then we'll, we'll, we'll shoot with Derby. Derby is correct. Start his career there. James, another club Lee Camp has played for in the Championship. I'm actually going to go for Rotherham. Ooh, he's gone a bit different. Okay. Yeah, Rotherham is also <laughs> correct. 60 appearances are made for them. Omar, can you name another club Lee Camp has played for? Um, he played for Birmingham, no? Yes, he did. <laughs> that was his most recent club. 86 appearances <laughs> he made there. So you're halfway through. All you need is four more. Uh, Justin? I was going to Omar's surprise that he's still in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rotherham's been taken. He was at Cardiff for a spell, wasn't he? Yes, he was there for one season, never made an appearance, but he was there. So that's another one, Dan. You've got three left. James, can you name another club Lee Camp has played for in the Championship? He was at Queen's Park Rangers. He was. He was on loan there twice before moving there permanently. That means you've got two left. And it doesn't surprise me that you left these two till last because I kind of forgot he played for these two. Uh, Omar, can you name another one Lee Camp has played for? Are they so they all current championship clubs, so I could spot a guess here. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um I'll shoot for someone like I'll go for someone like Bournemouth as a complete guess. I have no idea. Bournemouth is absolutely correct. No he was way. there for two seasons. <laughs> well done. Man, that was already raised. Guess. Complete guess. I'm not even <laughs> Right. So all three of you are still in, and there's one club left who are in the championship right now who Lee Camp has played for. Justin, can you name that club? See, Bournemouth for the ones I didn't know. <laughs> the, last, the last club is Norwich City. Making a loan spell there in 2006, making three appearances. <sighs> Lee Camp did indeed play for Norwich City. Well done, guys. You're the first team this season <laughs> to get all three, get all of them correct without all of you being eliminated. How proud are you, Omar? Living the dream, mate. In <laughs> lockdown 2.0, this is the biggest achievement so far. So, <laughs> James, are you happy? 
I should be more confident. I said I wasn't confident before, but uh, it just goes to show. It's what Blues have done and not confidence out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well done, guys. Justin, are you proud of your teammates? I am. I'm generally beaming. Again, being a Derby fan, this is the highlight of the season so far. This is great. <laughs> you haven't had much luck on this so far either. Exactly, you? So, exactly. Here you go. Your luck is turning. Right. Well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. A reminder that we're raising money for men's health by taking part in Movember. Me and Justin have grown fine moustaches, although I think mine is a bit better. Omar, right. would you agree? Let's, let's ask the I'll guests. I'll here on the camera, you know, I'm going to have to <laughs> opinion. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I'm quite proud of mine so far. Um, well, if you wouldn't mind donating what you can to our Movember page, it would be very much appreciated. The link is in the description of this episode. Well, otherwise, that's us for the week. Thank you, listener, for indulging in this terrific bit of championship podcasting. And also thank you to James Jenkinson from Birmingham Fan TV. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on pleasure and also omar renane from that millwall podcast omar thank you for your time pleasure no worries james we've got you on saturday week so uh we look forward to that one but yeah <laughs> i'll tell you what though gary rower versus i talk around i can't think of the i'll be honest i think room for another one yeah so you're so confident at the moment james anyway this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again with a midweek episode on thursday i've been ryan dilks i've been Justin peach Thank you for listening.